You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. Everybody here today, I trust that you have come to church expecting good things and also an opportunity to repent of everything that you ate over the last four days. <laughs> hey, I'm just grateful that we live in a country where we recognize we do need to be thankful for God's blessings. Amen? And so today, uh, we're going to continue. Actually, we're going to wrap up this series. It's called Living Out a Genuine Faith and a Follow fallen world is based on the Sermon on the Mount and uh, last week I had Pastor Ben fill in for me my wife and I were doing a wedding in Ohio and I did the math and uh, if I would have drove after the wedding I would have got home about 2 a.m. Sunday morning and I just didn't think I'd have my wheels to be able to preach that morning so I had Pastor Ben fill in and it, I listened to it did a great job didn't he amen did a supreme job for us so we're going to wrap this up today, and we're going to go to a passage of Scripture. It's actually the last teaching that is associated with the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verse 21 through 29. So let's everybody stand, if you would, for the reading of the Word. I'd like us to all again read this together, so let's begin. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds. We will hear words with our natural ears. But you know the language of every person's heart here. And I pray that no matter what is heard with their physical ears, I pray their spiritual ears, their spiritual heart, the values will be influenced by you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. You can be seated. So there's a couple things that I want to say about this particular passage before we jump into it. Number one is this. This is one of those passages that as you read it, you may be saying under your breath, Dear God, am I even saved? I mean, if I, if I see these things that the Bible that Jesus was saying, 
uh, is it, how is it possible if you're seeing those kinds of things in your life and God is using you, how can that possibly happen? I pray to God that I'm right with Jesus, you know, and that's okay, but we're going we're gonna to contextualize this so that nobody isn't walking out of here with questions about, I don't even know if I'm in the kingdom of God or not. Okay, we're going to clarify that. The second thing I think is interesting, I think you see, uh, I, I shared this a couple weeks ago, about Jesus' background as a carpenter. We estimate that uh, he was a carpenter for about, 15, from about, for about 15 years because he didn't launch his ministry until he was 30. So he would have been, and we read this, that he was involved uh, because they said, isn't this the carpenter? So we know that Jesus was involved in carpentry. And you can see through his parables and his illustrations that he used in preaching, he was drawing on a lot of that kind of uh, background. And you see this, I think, even in this story where it talks about building a house upon a rock and then building a house upon a sand. You can kind of see some of Jesus' uh, maybe personal experiences in dealing with people like this. I'm going to ask you this question. How many of you are involved in the trades? Don't, this is, trust me, I'm not going to embarrass you or do anything. And I'm assuming my grandfather was in the trades. He was, he was a mechanic for 25 years, and then he was a carpenter for 25 years. And I'm so, I, I, and I was the only grandson, so, you know, I had no competition there, right? So it was interesting to watch him. I, I learned his language of dealing with customers. They would come up with, you know, this is what they want. And he goes, yeah, if I was you and that was my money, I wouldn't do that. And then, if you're in the blue-collar industry, you know this. How many of you have ever ran into a customer who is absolutely convinced they know more than you? And they proceed to tell you that they watched a video online of a guy in Panama who says that this is possible, and you're going, well, they have different building codes down there, and these are the building codes here, and if I was you, I, and, and you know, you get a customer who just absolutely is convinced that they know more than you, the craftsman who they have hired to do the job. And, so, and you probably have had to do some work for a customer, and you go, I maybe you've had to say, I don't want to do it, and I'm not going to do it that way, because it, it gives me a bad reputation. Or you did it, and it didn't work, and you said, you know, you tried to resist that famous, I tried to tell you, I told you so. And uh, there's no doubt Jesus probably, in the carpentry business, probably encountered some of those people. He may have even been a part of a guy like, why are you building your house here? You know this is not going to go good. There's a reason the land was cheap. There's a reason you're the only house that's here. Do the math. Do the science. And somebody risked it all. And they built a house that they should have never built in a location they should have never chosen. And so I think if you look at those illustrations, parables, you, can see, you do see there's a lot of carpentry involved in Jesus' teaching because that was his background. But I want to look at, as we summarize this Sermon on the Mount with this message today, you see that he's talking about this, and it's the biggest obstacle to, in, in, to any arena of personal development and growth is a lack of self-awareness. And that's really what Jesus is talking here. We're going to unpack this a little more. But I'm assuming some of you have relatives who are lacking in self-awareness. Does anybody have that person that was at Thanksgiving and you go, you shouldn't say everything that crosses your mind. Or you're not the expert on everything. We check the internet. You're not there. Uh... Yeah, it's just sometimes you're around some people and you just want to go filter, 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 filter. 
You don't have to say that. And have you ever just said in, under your breath, please stop? Please stop. And they just don't. Why? Because there's no, there's no self-awareness. They just, and they do it all in the name of, well, bless God, I'm one of those people, I'm just totally honest. I say what's on my mind. And you want to go, and that's something you should learn that you don't have to do. But another way to define lack of self-awareness is actually self-deception. In American culture, we call it self, a lack of self-awareness because the word deception is so potent, it sounds judgmental. So, you know, in America, we like to soften that a little bit. Well, it's just a lack of self-awareness. No, they're deceived. They think there's something they're not. And they think they know things that they don't know. And they're commenting on stuff that some people in the room know more than them, but they think they're the authority figure on the matter. It's, they're deceived about who they are and what they're... And Jesus is talking just about this in the arena of spirituality. People are self-deceived. It's in the scripture that we read that Jesus is talking about a lack of spiritual self-awareness or spiritual deception. And I would say this. Some would say that spiritual deception is actually the most dangerous thing today because it will cause people to do things that they would otherwise never do. And people get hurt. People get stung. If you've lived any amount of time, you know that from time to time there have been religious figures that have found their way into the spotlight and something imploded and they find out all these things, the deception, and you're like, how could those people have been sucked in by something like that? And it's, it, it didn't start out that way, but it was slow and it pulled them in and they really bought into it. And that, that was the thing. And sometimes people lose their lives. They just don't lose their wealth, their, their resources and, their, and their, their acquisitions. Some people have lost their lives. Some of you live long enough. Jim Jones. Down in South America. The disaster that was to people. They were, they were deceived. They really believed this. But there was no check and balance to say, how do I know I'm right? In fact, it was dangerous to even ask, is this even right? So Jesus was talking about pe to people who really wanted to serve God. But there were obstacles because they were at the mercy of those who were entrusted with the means to tell them. People didn't have a, they didn't have a Bible. The only copy available was usually in the synagogue or at the temple, and they were relinquished, those copies were relinquished to the priests, to the religious leaders. So if you wanted to know anything, you had to go and listen to them teach. You didn't have a copy as you sat and listened to their teaching to be able to do some comparison. You didn't have access to the commentaries and all these varieties. You had to sit there and listen and out of your own intellect go, is this right or is it not right? You didn't have any ability to go research. And you, all you had was, boy, this just doesn't seem right. And what had happened, the religious leaders, their lifestyle was so different compared to the masses that the masses begin to think, look, if this is so right, why are they doing so well and we're not? Something's wrong here. We're just as obedient as those. And of course now history, history shows us that those religious leaders were cooperating with Rome and they were getting payoffs. But the people were just like, something ain't right. We're doing what they tell us to do. Nothing's better. My personal life is going down. I'm watching this religious leader do better and better. Something's off. And Jesus comes along and he starts to talk about self-deception, especially as it relates to spirituality, that people can be deceived. And he unpacks this 
And he's, this is really, like I said, the summary of what he said during that Sermon on the Mount. And it's pretty loaded because, like I said, it can strike a little bit of fear. And it's like, well, how do I know I'm not deceived? Because here's the thing about deception. You don't know you're deceived. You don't know it. In fact, you might even be angry that anybody would even bring up the topic that you might be deceived. You get angry like, how dare you say that about me? I am not deceived. You know that's what people who are deceived say, right? So, how, so this teaching, I think, has a lot for us today. Because listen, nobody wants to have their life and resources in a cult. We have to be willing to say, so how do I know? How do I know my faith is genuine? How do I know my faith is real? And how do I, listen, keep it real and not let it fall into these deceptive categories? So the first thing is this, and usually I have you read the points with me, but today I'm just going to read this one. I'll have you read some of the others with me later. But it really, the key precipice in this passage is this, whose will is your faith serving? Is it yours or is it his? That's the whole crux of this text. Because of how it is written, it doesn't jump out at us as Americans. We're used to making a point with a different type of language and a different type of setup in the language. So the way that it's here, we don't pick it up rapidly, which is why we need to come to church and be taught right? It helps us to see things that maybe we're skimming over in our personal reading. And notice what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Man, that can strike fear right there. Like, well, great. That's what I call him Lord. Hang on. Everybody read that next phrase with me. But only the one who does, who, key phrase, who does the will of my father. This is not about acknowledgement. This is about obedience. We have to be careful in America because in our concern, in our desire to get people to accept Christ, we sometimes have been inadvertently watering it down. All you need to do is just acknowledge that He's Lord and Savior and you're good. Well, that's the starting point. But it tells us here that the manifestation that that has taken hold of is the fact that you have taken your will and set it aside and now have decided to do His will. We act, if we're not careful, we will only be adding Jesus as another element to our life and we think, I know, this is what I want to do and I've not been able to do it. I'll accept Jesus and that'll put my will on steroids because I got Him. No, 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 no. You accept Jesus. With Jesus comes his will, which means your will gets set aside. You cannot have your will and his will. You've got to make a choice. So there's other things in the Bible that pack this out, unpack this, okay? And again, they're phrases. We Just because of how it's written, it doesn't grab us. If we were writing from an American perspective, we would format it different. So here's, let's get, look at this. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, which was, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, this is how you pray. Your kingdom come, everybody read it. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he says, you don't pray your will, you pray for his will. Who hasn't taken a list to Jesus? 
We all have, right? But in the end, it's not, if we're not careful, we'll get into that trap that I've mentioned before. I've got the ideas, he's got the power, let's merge the two, and we're going to go places. No, Jesus says, part of your prayer is, why don't you ask me what I want instead of you telling me what you want? Because you think you have the solution. So it starts off with, Jesus, show me what you want. That's what I will do. You look at this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 15, or verse 50. Jesus says this, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He's wanting a relationship. And he says that relationship is not based on acknowledgement. He says it is based on doing the will of my Father. When you do the will of the Father, your family. Wow. Look at this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. And by the way, if you're new here, I read everything from the NIV version. So I'm not jumping around from translation to translation so, so that I can get something to work for me. I stay consistent with the same translation. So this is all NIV, okay? The world and its desires pass away. Everybody read the next part. But whoever does the will of God, notice it does not say acknowledge. It says whoever does the will of the Father. And by the way, when it says God, uh, God lives forever, it's talking about eternity, it's talking about heaven. Okay? Based on doing God's will, you have an eternity. So uh, eternity with him. So what we see here is this. We have to be careful. Jesus did not tell his disciples, he didn't say, go into all the world and get converts. He said, go into the world and make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is one who says, it's no longer about what I want, it's about what he wants. What do you want to do through my life? And I'm in. But so many people just add Jesus to their life because one, I need to get rid of the guilt, I need forgiveness and I have goals and dreams, and I just can't get there, and maybe if I add Jesus to the package, it'll get me where I want to go. Can I tell you, Jesus does not want to be an add-on in your life. He wants to be the center. And he says, if you want to be family, you've got to do the will of the Father just like I've had to do the will of the Father. He says, if you want to live in eternity, it's not about saying, well, well I, I have the right acknowledgement. By the way, so let's... Well, you're, you're, get, you're making me get ahead. Stop asking so many questions. Okay? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and your name drive out demons, and your name perform many miracles. This is a little bit of a side note. Do you notice that Jesus said, doesn't indicate that there is going to be a time in the future when the gifts will cease? He actually says the, the gifts will continue to happen, and as a result, you will have people who will be abusing the gifts. You're, isn't it interesting? People get into this discussion, and you're like, well, when Jesus said this, the Bible, the last book of the Bible was written around 90 AD, so technically, Jesus could have said, you know, about those gifts, don't worry about it, in 60 years, it's over. But he didn't. He acknowledged right up to the end of time that there would be abuse, abuses in the gifts of the Spirit. He never said cancel it. Which means we have to be careful how we translate the rest of Scripture or we could be violating this portion of Scripture. I know that other people want to interpret other passages other ways. And I'm like, yeah, but then why didn't Jesus change what he said here? 
Now, back to, that was a side note, that's bonus, it's just free stuff. Okay, so now we're back to this Lord, Lord. And notice that it's not small L, it's capital L. So they're actually using the right phraseology. They're, they are acknowledging his right title. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Well, the answer is, well, yes, they did. And you say, well, wow, if I was having that happen in my life and then I was told I was not right with God, I'm like, well, then how do I get right with God? Because I would think that would be some of the evidence that I'm right with God. Well, we all know people of renown, and some of them we may never know their name, but we all know spiritual leaders who have been used mightily of God and then something else came out and we found out that their private life wasn't as ordered as their public life. And so it led to some fallout and some disillusionment. And people, you, you thought it, people have said it. I don't understand how that could have been going on in private when this was happening publicly. And we have to understand this. Is God necessarily wasn't defending the person. He was defending his own word. We sometimes get mixed up on who God is approving sometimes. Yes, it's easy to assume that God must be approving of the person, yes, but sometimes we find out God was just honoring the, the, the faith, his own word being preached. Jesus was defending his word, and he wasn't going to defend that person anymore who was delivering that word. Truth is truth. Sometimes the imperfect vessel that delivers that truth can make it more complicated and more difficult. And the other part is this. So here, here's another side. Ready for another bonus moment? This bonus round, here you go. Just in a good mood today, here we go. I, I've met people who are atheists. And then I have also spoke with people who say, yeah, I believe in God. Don't know that I'm ready to accept him. Don't know whether, whether I'm ready to follow him or not. And then there are those who have accepted Christ. And there's, so there's this spectrum. And if you're in, if you're in this, one of these spectrums over here, this atheism, or you say, I acknowledge he exists, but I haven't accepted him. Let me just... Let me just share an insight with you okay when we move from when a person moves from atheism to an acknowledgement that Jesus is real I just haven't accepted who he is but I acknowledge that he's real listen to me this is not meant to be sarcasm this is supposed to be a truth sobering moment what I'm saying and I haven't found a way to couch it really nice you ready for this when you say, I believe that he exists, but I haven't put my trust in him, you now have the same level of faith that the demons have. Hey, Jesus was ministering. The demons would sometimes manifest. You see this in Mark, especially. They would cry out, behold, thou art the son of God. And Jesus said, shut up and come out. Okay, and they did. Now, what the demons said was true, Correct was acknowledged. Nobody's going to make a case that that was a moment the demon had a turnaround. Listen, not, not even the demons argue God's existence. Not even the demons argue Jesus' role. They don't even argue Jesus' authority. Isn't that ironic? There are some things that hell just concedes. God's real. Jesus is real. He's got power. Here's the problem. We don't like it. And we want to unseat him. That's what the demons say. We just want to unseat him. So there's an acknowledgement. There is a My goodness, how can you not believe? They used to live there. 
Remember, they used to live in eternity with God in heaven. So the point is this. It's the reason they say all the right things. By the way, they, the demons, Satan even quoted the word to Jesus. They know the Bible. Here's, here's the catch. Then, what, then why aren't they saved? Because they will not obey. They acknowledge. They quote the Bible. They used to be in God's presence. Why aren't they saved? Because they ain't going to obey. There's the line. I'm not going to obey. Hmm. That's the line in the sand. This is why Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything. Because our salvation is proven, listen to me, proven that it's genuine by giving up my will to follow His will. My dreams in exchange for His dreams. My purposes in exchange for His purposes. By the way, so what do we... Then why does God let all these people misrepresent Him? Have you ever just said, God, you just need to toast a few people? That'll put the fear of God in them out there. I'm just telling, I'm just, you don't have to, but I'm just giving free advice. Level them, God, and I'm telling you, the altars will be full. Paul's in prison. Again, because of how things get written, we sometimes miss the context of what's being said. Paul's in prison, and he's being genuine. And the people that he's writing to in Philippi know he's genuine. And they see in Philippi there's all these spiritual hucksters, deceitful people, and they're getting away with it. And it's, it's caused some tension. Paul, you're real. Why has God let you be put in prison? And then you got all these other people, deceitful, they're out here. It just seems, shouldn't God flip this around like get you out and put them in? Because we'd love to stop them. We don't understand why does God let this happen? Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. I'll read it, just follow along. What's Paul's response to that? It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. So Paul says, I acknowledge you got some legit, you got some illegitimate. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in change. Paul acknowledges some people see the faith as an opportunity to get their stuff done. What's his response? See, this is where we get that divisiveness, anger. This is where you get anger. This is where you really get anger. And Paul says, no. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. See, we live in a culture where we're trying to figure out how to make people mad. We tell stories to make people mad. We get online to make people mad. We get news stories that are designed to make us mad. We get, you know, our phones. We pull it. Whoa, did you see this? Unbelievable. I mean, everything's designed to trigger anger in you because if you're angry, you'll keep staying engaged. If you're angry, you're thinking about it. Let me give you some advice. Your remote has this thing called off. It's a powerful tool. Sometimes you just turn it off. Right? 
Don't let people play on your emotions. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just shut down on your social media for a while and just take a, just, just, sometimes you just got to know when to hit off. And everybody said, amen. amen. Yeah, just don't get sucked into that stuff. They were trying to get Paul mad. Instead, Paul says, you know what? What does it matter? The important thing is in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. You say, I, I wish some of those people wouldn't preach Jesus. But at least his, see, in their day, people didn't even know what the name was or who it was. And he's saying, at least they're learning about who the name Jesus is. So if they know the name of Jesus, maybe they can find the truth later on with it. But at least now they know the name. Whose will is your faith serving? Yours or his? So, then he says this, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. This is key. Note that Jesus' comparison to an acknowledgement versus a relationship. The word new is a Greek word that is very hard for us to translate because you need almost an entire sentence for that word. But when you're doing translation work and trying to keep it contained in a so it's an accurate translation, but that word new means a lot of different things in the culture. So you could introduce yourself to me this morning and I would know your name, know a little bit about you, and somebody could walk up and say, do you know them? I would say, yeah, I know them. I just met them. I'm being legit. I know them. But it's another thing if you come to me and you say, hey, Pastor Lisa, do you know anything about her? I could go, oh yeah, I know her. She's my wife. <laughs> and you would see that that word no has two different applications in our culture. You would have to listen and watch the content. And the word no there that Jesus is saying is not that no, he doesn't just know about you. He is saying we have an intimate relationship. So he is saying I never knew you. He's saying we never had a close relationship. Away from me. Don't try to come live in my house when you don't even know who I really am. You know who I am, but you don't know me intimately, and I don't know you either because you never talked to me. He was using a very intimate word. It's amazing. We have a God. Listen, one of the things that's different about our faith from other religions in the world, you, if you have time, you ought to just do a, what I call just a fast scan. Did you know that every major religion in the world is, has these things that are designed to help their followers get the attention of their God because their God is not attentive. And so they do all this stuff in the hopes that if the things line up right and they do something long enough, their God will find, listen, finally, Listen, but you will, have, you will have followers in other religions of the world who will say, no, I've never heard his voice. I've never heard Allah talk. I've never heard Muhammad talk. I have never, whatever the name of the God, I, I believe they, but I've never heard their voice. I follow in the hopes that one day I'll hear, but they never do. And then there's those of us and followers, we have a God who says, here it's different. In Christianity, we have a God who says, I am waiting on you. I'm waiting for you. 
You're not waiting on me. I'm already at the table, ready to have a conversation. The only reason we're not having a conversation, you're not at the table. It is a, I hope you understand the huge paradigm shift that is. That our God says, you don't have to get my attention. I'm trying to get yours. Wow. And that's why he says, I never knew you because you never talked. You never, you never got to know me. I want to know you. But you didn't want to know me. You just wanted to know the basics about me. Now, we're going to get close. There's, there's three more points, and you're thinking, dear Lord, if he takes as long on these next three as he did that first one, yeah, we'll have to order carry out. But I'm not going to do that to you. So with that as the foundation, we can kind of go through these next three fairly quickly as long as you don't have a lot of questions this morning. So he tells us then, obedience to God's word provides a foundation for our lives. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So what he's saying is this, if you will trust my word, the morality, the integrity that will be built in your life because you obeyed the word of God, God says this, listen to me, you have a storm coming, you have a stream that's going to rise and try to flood you, you have a wind that's getting ready to come against you. Notice he, he uses, it's, it's stated as a fact we have winds, storms, and floods that are going to be coming into our life. The only question you have to ask yourself is, do I have a moral integrity? Do I have a spiritual foundation that will see me through that? Or am I going to fall apart? But I got news. We all have storms in life. Jesus even said in Matthew, it rains on the just and the unjust. If he would take my advice, I would say, you need to make the promise there will be no rain. But he doesn't ask for my opinion. He gives the promise it's going to rain on the just and the other. So the only thing you've got to ask yourself is, is do I have a foundation in my life, in my family's life, that will get me through that, or am I going to be wiped out? Am I going to crumble? Because I stood by moral principles that were not based on God's word. I've said this before, but we always have new people and I want them to hear this because it is so pervasive. Right now, culturally speaking, we are in what I call the great experiment. And it's gonna have some serious fallout. It will not be a time for the church when its fallout happens for the church to go, see, we're right and you're wrong. No, I think this is where the church says, how do I help you? I'm sorry you bought that lie. I'm sorry you staked your future on this new sexual ideology and the defund the police that, you know, every, I tell you what, I watched people drive in Fauquier County. You do not want to defund the police. <laughs> Bad idea. And that's just based on pat, uh, driving patterns, people. Yeah, we, 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 we just got back from Florida a couple weeks ago. Those people are insane how they drive down there. 
I've come to the conclusion, the further you go south on the 95, the worse insane it is. Anyway, okay, now that I've been relieved of that pressure on my life, it's nothing but the great experiment. And I'm telling you, it's going to collapse. And here's the thing, there's going to be ruined lives because they changed their values and their morals. Because we got a new morality, we've got new, and I'm saying, listen man, this isn't new. This has been tried for thousands of years. We just think because we're more advanced technologically, we're smart enough to avoid the consequences. No, we're not. There's going to be devastation in the lives of people. And like I said, the church should never rise up. No, we need to say, how do I help you? How can I help you get your life put back together? How can I help you reestablish who you are? Because here what I, don't ever forget, that will be the day of salvation just as it is available to people today. Then he goes on to say this, acknowledgement of God without obedience to his word. Now listen, makes one a fool. You say, boy, you shouldn't use such a judgmental word. I didn't. Jesus did. It's right there. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Foolish. Foolish is to know, but run the risk of not doing it. And then it says, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Suddenly it happens. You say, well, I'm smarter than that. Are you? Two weeks ago, we watched a guy worth $18 billion in cryptocurrency lose $18 billion in a day. He was smart. He was brilliant. He had the politicians of the world buying in. He had corporate America backing him. And because of a lack of morality and integrity, 18 billion disappeared. And now the ramifications translate into the people who put their investments there. Don't tell me it can't happen suddenly. It does. You would think a guy with 18 billion would have some contingencies. Nah, he was confident. We got this. So were everybody else buying into it. What did it in? Lack of morals. Lack of integrity. No spiritual foundation. His world collapsed literally in two days. Gone. And now other people are trying to figure out what they're going to do because that $18 billion belonged to a lot of people out there. And now they are suffering the consequences. We could go on and on back in American history. Some of you are older. Remember Enron? There one week, all of it gone the next week, and people in retirement now have no retirement. Crashes. Why? Because of a lack of morality, a lack of integrity. A lack of spirituality, it says, it doesn't matter if I can get away with this. People like me don't do that because of my morals and my spirituality. It's not, I don't do it because I can get away with it. I don't do that because it speaks to the values that I have in my heart, in my life. Those people are fools. Not because I said it, 
The Bible says you're a fool. You knew and you gambled. You're a fool. And then the last thing I'll wrap this up with. God's word is the authority. They said this about Jesus. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. You see, one of the things that's in our culture is this. People quote other, others to lend authority to what they're saying. I've, I'm, I'm involved in the academic world. Last week, we had one of the seminaries for our fellowship. They had a class here I taught all day last week for them. I do one day a month for the seminary. I've got my doctorate, so I've got to, I, I get this. I get the education process. I'm not educa- anti-education. I've, I've done that, and I approve of it, and I encourage others to do it if that's where God is taking you. Okay? And one of the things that you're, 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 you push, whether you're the teacher who's doing the teaching at that moment or you're, you're enrolled in the class is this. You cite sources to give credibility to what you're trying to say. You quote a journal. You, you quote a book. You quote an interview. You quote people in the U.S. You quote people from outside the U.S. You quote variety. You get credibility for your idea by finding all these quotes and all these things out there and you put it in writing and you cite it and it's how you lend credibility to what you're saying. Except Jesus didn't have any sources because he said my authority is the word. I am the word. John 1, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Jesus said, I don't quote an authority. I am the authority. <laughs> wow. He probably wouldn't pass in seminary if he said that. But Jesus said, see, I, I don't have to do what the teachers of the law do by quoting other authorities. They don't have to, he said, I don't have to cite anybody. You're looking at the authority. And I declare this to be the truth. Wow. A God who's not afraid to put himself out there in front of you and me and say, I'm the real deal. Talk to me. I'm waiting to talk to you. I'm not asking, he says, I'm not asking for your acknowledgement. I'm asking for your relationship. Wow. And you're not looking for the authority, you're actually speaking to the authority. We sang a great song this morning, and our prayer points with that song. What he's, he's the great hope restorer. He's the great destiny changer. I don't care what the momentum of your life is. He can change that. If you come into relationship with him today. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand. Would you do that as we wrap it up the service? And come on. For the next 30 seconds, would you just lift your hands? And I want us to praise Him for being a God who can bring me hope and who can bring me a destiny. I just have to be willing to set my will aside and take His will. Can we do that? Come on, everybody. Lift your voice. 30 seconds as they play right now. Come on. Come on.